Aloha, everyone. Welcome to Sasha Spins, where you get my thoughts on life, current events, and everything else in between, in and out of the saddle. So let's get right on into it. Aloha, everyone. Welcome to Sasha Spins, where you get my thoughts on life, current events, and everything else in between, in and out of the saddle. So let's get right on into it. Happy Black History Month. I hope you are doing well. I hope you are doing amazing. I hope this has been a great productive month for you, a great productive week. So I said a couple of episodes ago that I would be doing a podcast on Black History Month. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about my thoughts on Black History Month. And the reason why I wanted to save this until the end of Black History Month is because generally speaking, this month is one where I feel all of this excitement and pride and joy. And then at the same time, I feel disconnected, drained, and just frustrated by the end of the month. At Black History Month, it's, um, uh, I don't even know where to begin. So <laughs> what we're going to do is go back, way back into time. No, because I think that My feelings on Black History Month, as I get older, they become less complicated, but my feelings about Black History Month, they start with childhood. And growing up, I remember being the only Black person in some of my classes or one of two or three Black kids in class. So whenever we talk about Black History Month, it was all eyes on me, especially if I was the only Black person in the class. And very often... I don't even know if cognitively this had anything to do with it, but I think I was the most visibly black person in class because I remember I had some classmates that were biracial or lighter skinned, but I am a monoracially, very obviously black woman. (laughs) I am blackity black, 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 okay? There is no disconnect. So whenever anything black related would come up, it would be boop, all eyes on Sasha. And any segment on slavery, boom, all eyes on me. I remember we'd be whipping, reading books and there would be pictures of whipping scenes. And, you know, this one time this boy was like, dang, Sasha, that could be you. And I'm like, you are so lucky. (laughs) We cannot hit people in this room. But anyways, it was just all eyes on me. So when I talk about Black History Month and when I talk about the black experience in America and think about it, at least the black experience in America as it pertains to me and what Black History Month means and feels like to me, those feelings of excitement, pride and joy juxtaposed with those feelings of disconnect and feeling drained and then ultimately at the end of the month feeling a little disappointed, it those feelings started at a really early age and it was largely due to two different things. So specifically, the frustration and the feelings of disconnect. So for me, the frustration, it started at a very early age of only one aspect of black history being presented, the struggle. Like in class, whenever we would talk about black history in this country, it would only extend to the civil rights movement, slavery, and then the four people, four people in all of civil rights history, like apparently only Malcolm X, Rosa Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr. existed, and then they'd give us a little James Baldwin or sprinkle in a little W.E. Du Bois. But for the most part, it was always just the same four cast of characters as civil rights 
and slavery. And that's where it would begin and that's where it would end. And coming from my household where my dad was really intentional about teaching us not only black history, but I'm a first generation kid. I'm a first generation Nigerian American. So my parents immigrated to this country in the 80s. So I not only got a history, I would be in school and I would be getting a history of the black experience on one extreme, but then I would go home and I would get another history of the black extreme, all of these successes, all of these wins. So there would be in school, I was really frustrated because we wouldn't talk about the successes. We wouldn't talk about the high points. All we would talk about is the pain points, the, 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 the struggle. And I'm like, there's so much more to black history and the black experience than struggle. And black history, it didn't just end with the civil rights movement. So why aren't we talking about current issues that are plaguing the black community or recent successes that we've had in the black community? And I think this is because I came up in this era of colorblindness, right? Like the 90s, we didn't see race. Race wasn't a thing. Everybody was equal. Uh, remember, affirmative action was a thing because we were like, no, we don't need affirmative action because there's no such thing as race. Remember, it was a compliment for people to be like, it was a badge of honor for people to come up to you and be like, I don't see color. And I'm like, the fuck? So I think that existed, the, the paradigm that I found myself existing in at school and in my education was because I came up in this area, this era of colorblindness and the way Black History Month was taught, it was taught as something that all of our problems were solved during civil rights and now things are better and things are better because Martin Luther King Jr. came around and made everything better and we have affirmative action now so everybody's equal, we're all on the same playing field. And I knew that that was not true. And the older I got, the more irritated, especially in school, I became around Black History Month being taught. So that was that frustration. And then there's this the disconnect that I felt. So like I said, I said it earlier, I am a first generation Nigerian American kid. My parents came here in the 80s, in the early 80s, met, I was born in the late 80s. So I am not an African descendant of slaves. I am a child of immigrants. I can trace my family tree. Um, and in the larger, and, and while I say that, I want to be very clear that in the larger context of being black in America, none of this matters. It does not matter that I'm a child of immigrants. It does not matter that I can trace my family tree. It does not matter that the majority of my family and relatives are still in Nigeria. None of that matters because no one is stopping to ask me about any of these things or ask me if I'm a child of immigrants or makes it clear like, hey, um, are you black American or are you African American? Are you black black or are you African black? Are you black? You know, no one is asking me these things before discriminating against me or being racist towards me. They're not checking my past. So while I while I think it's important to bring up the fact that I felt this connect as a child of immigrants and that did kind of shape my experience as a black person in America. Well, I guess not. I don't want to say America. Goodness, this is going to be a mess editing. You know what? I don't think I'm going to edit this because 
I'm just going to talk straight off the cuff and hopefully you'll stay with me through this. I think there is value in sometimes getting people's unfiltered, raw, edited opinion. And I sat on this podcast for a couple of weeks because I was like, how do I approach this? I don't want to drop this in the middle of Black History Month and bring up any feelings. So I'm just... It's not going to be perfect, but it's just going to be me. And if you know me, you know, I don't give a shit about what it looks like it being perfect. I just care about speaking my truth. So like I said, before anyone comes up to me, they don't check to see if I'm a regular black American or if I'm a child of immigrants before discriminating against me. So this is not to say that being a child of immigrants did not impact my reality as a black person in this country, because I think that would be that that would be a lie. Like a lot of the time growing up, even though I was raised here in America, my parents, they are culturally Nigerian. They came here as full formed adults with their own cultural identities and backgrounds. And Nigerians, if you know Nigerians, you know, they're very prideful people. We love our culture. We love our customs. We love our traditions. So I often sometimes felt that I was walking in two worlds because I would go to school and I would experience American life. I would go to my friends' houses and I would see what life was like in their house. And then I would come home and it would be something completely different. Like I you know, I don't think this is a, a uniquely Nigerian thing. But for example, one thing that sticks out is that I was never allowed to go to sleepovers. I didn't do sleepovers. And all my white friends and my American friends, they thought that was weird. But in my culture, I'm like, that's not weird at all. You have a bed at your house. Why don't you sleep at home? Why are you going to someone else's house to sleep? So my experience as a child of immigrants did shape my reality on who I am as an individual. And I think it did have an impact on how I saw my own blackness and how I identified identified my own blackness. And I was, you don't realize that, you know, when you're younger, you just know things are different. You know, you have, as a child of immigrants, you have one foot in American culture and you're being raised in your own parents' culture. And that disconnect, it kind of grows as you get older and you're able, you're more accurately able to put a name on it. Like, I remember one time in college, <laughs> a friend, we were talking about Black History Month and I was like bringing up instances of being discriminated against and experiencing racism. And she looked at me, she's white. She looked at me and she was like, she said to me, she was like, Sasha, you don't know what discrimination for black people is really like and you can't relate to the black experience because your ancestors weren't slaves. You can trace your family tree back to Africa. You can go to Africa and you have family members there. You not a lot of there are not a lot of black people that can say that. So you don't know what it's really like to be black and you don't really act black anyway. And <laughs> years later, it, it, just even saying that and sharing that, it's still dumbfounding. You know, I, I'm still shocked. Because even though I have this connection, this very real connection to Nigeria, and my family members are there, the majority of my family members are there. I have cousins I've never met before. I don't really have tight-knit relationships with my extended family because my mom and my dad and my aunt are really the only immediate family members that I have that are here and a few cousins. So outside of that, though, the majority of my family is in Nigeria. And because I'm here, I guess in her mind, you know, 
because I'm a child of immigrants, I didn't know what it was like to really be black in this country because I didn't experience, my, my ancestors weren't slaves. And so because of that, I don't identify, I can't identify with black people in America. I don't know what it's like to be black. And in the moment, this was years ago, this was like 10 years ago at this point. Yeah, no, actually it was like maybe, I'm aging myself a little bit here. <laughs> I swear, the older I get, the worse my memory gets. But this was like maybe like 12 or 13 years ago. And I didn't have anything to say to her then. And I don't even think I would dignify her statement with the response now because it's so ignorant. But as you get older, you more so have the language for these things. And at the time, I didn't even have the language to respond because I was dealing with my own feelings of disconnect. So anyways, all of this to say that because the black experience in this country is very unique and also being a child of immigrants is really unique. You marry both of those. And then I felt like, who can I, for a minute, I was like, who can I really talk to about this outside of my own siblings and some of my, um, some of my family friends growing up who have become like my friends now still, uh, still talk to them. They are the child of immigrants too. They are the child of Nigerian immigrants and African immigrants too. So they understand kind of where I'm coming from. But at the time, you don't have the language for that. So that's like kind of where my disconnect was. And now as I'm older, I understand that just because my ancestors weren't enslaved peoples in America, it doesn't mean my lived experience as a black person in this country isn't impacted by the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, because that is further from, that couldn't be further from the truth. If you are black in this country, it doesn't matter who you're descended from, where you're coming from. Oprah can go to another country and still be discriminated as a black person. So it doesn't matter how much money you have, how much education you have. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, what people see is the color of your skin. And some people will treat you accordingly based in their own discrimination and prejudice and stereotypes. So it doesn't matter where I come from because at the end of the day, no one's asking me if I'm a child of immigrants before they discriminate against me or before they stereotype me, you know. But at the same time, I want to be sensitive to the fact that generational trauma is real and there is a lot of trauma passed down through African descendants of slaves. And that's not a trauma or a legacy that I can relate to or that I have directly experienced. And I have to be honest with that. There are wounds that we don't talk about in this country. We think that we can enslave a people for hundreds of years and then discriminate against them for even more years and burn down their towns and enact a system of codes to keep them second-class citizens. And we don't think that that's going to pass down trauma. That's insane to me. And that trauma doesn't exist within me. I, do, I was not raised with the legacy of that trauma, but I was and I am affected by the impacts of it. So that's how I feel that the Black experience in this country, regardless of descent, it's unifying. We are all walking and existing as black people in our bodies in this country. So regardless of descent, there is a there's a unifying and there's a shared history. It's a shared experience. So like I, I said earlier, 
even though I say all of that, at times I still feel, I, I definitely felt it a lot more when I was younger. I don't feel it as much anymore because I'm outside of my parents' home and I'm an adult and I can make decisions for myself. But I remember feeling a lot of the time when I was younger that I walked in one world. I had my, basically I had one foot in one world, another foot in another world. And I didn't know sometimes where I stood and just feeling a disconnect with that. And sometimes I even question if I even had the right to identify with the reality or history because it wasn't my own. So even though I'm a black person in this country, can I say that I was impacted by these things? And, you know, to a certain degree, I felt that when I was younger, I felt that I can be proud of, you know, my history, my Nigerian culture, but I'm still proud to be a black person in America. So it was just like, y'all, it was complicated. <laughs> it was com it was complicated. And you wouldn't know, like most people like, oh my God, the ignorant shit that some people used to say to me finding out that I was Nigerian. I mean, if my last, if I made a name, didn't give it away, some people would say dumb shit to me like, oh, you don't even look, you know, you don't look African. Cause I'm like, I'm sure like some, if there are some first generation kids now, first generation Nigerian kids or African kids, y'all remember when people were calling us African booty scratchers and all this other stuff. So there was like this, dis this the divide and this connect within the black community and the African, the black African community in America, like it was real. So it was complicated. And like I said, the older I get, it's less complicated because I've like formed my own sense of identity, but it was just complicated. It's not as complicated anymore. I, by the end of this, I'm going to say complicated so many times, it's not going to mean a freaking thing. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I am a black woman. I'm an unambiguously monoracial black woman. And as such, that is my experience in this country. My experience is that of someone who is a black woman who was treated like that and coded like that. And unfortunately, there is discrimination and prejudice and stereotypes that come with that, regardless of the fact that I am also a first generation Nigerian American. So like I said, I mostly gotten over the feeling of anything really being complicated. I know who I am. I'm very proud of who I am. I'm very rooted in who I am. So that feeling of, you know, disconnect, I don't feel it anymore. And I think that, like I said, being older has a lot to do with it, like getting older, especially as I grew into my, my identity outside of college. However, uh, like I said, I have all these feelings around Black History Month, excitement, joy, and pride. And then it's followed by frustration and being drained. And a part of this is due to social media. And I think that's what I'm going to talk about now because I, I think it goes and said the excitement and the joy and the pride for Black History Month. Being Black is fucking amazing. It is lit. It is beautiful. We are beautiful. We are intelligent. We are resilient. We are strong. We are funny. We are funny. We are trendsetters. We are the culture. Music. There would be nothing without black people in this country. Being black is lit. And we got a whole month to celebrate that. And that's dope. So I love the, there's so much excitement. There's so much joy. There's so much pride when Black History Month comes around. But then by the end of it, I just feel like frustrated sometimes and I feel hella drained. And like I said, this is in part to social media. 
And like I, I referenced this earlier, this tendency to exclusively frame the black experience of one in this country as nothing but freaking poverty, struggle, hardships. And yes, while that is part of the experience, it's true. This is partially true and is actively still true in the present. The black experience is about so much more than that. It is a present and it is a lived experience. And I think people get tripped up because it's called Black History Month. And a lot in a lot of people's minds, history denotes something that's happening in the past. But history is happening and being made every single day. We are existing and walking now within history. So this idea that Black History Month or Black History period in this country begins with slavery and ends with the civil rights movement and boom, equality. We're all equal today. It's maddening. It's childish. It's a very ignorant approach to history and, and, and to the black experience in this country. And it's a very whitewashed, feel-good view of history. And to be perfectly honest, <laughs> even certain people who never have anything for black people there are certain people when I see them bringing up Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., it irritates me to no end because while he is widely revered today and respected and honored and we love him generally as a culture and have nothing but positive things to say about him, the same white people praising him today who have nothing for black people, who don't speak up for Black Lives Matter, who were silent when everything was going on in the world in 2020 and are still being silent and only ever speak up to talk about property damage and riots and blah, 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 and taking a knee. Those people will then hop on social media and praise him and, and throw out his very fluffy quotes when statistically speaking, these were very likely the same white people in his day who would have viewed Dr. Martin Luther King as a troublemaker. And a lot of people don't know this because we have very binary views of history. We don't like to, I freaking love history. And I think the way we teach history is so maddening in this country because it's very whitewashed. It's very sanitized. It's very childish. We don't really, we don't get to the real and we present it in a way that's not interesting to people. But if we taught history in a dynamic way, I think people would get it. You know, people are very ignorant of their history. And when you don't know your history, you don't, you're, you're doomed to m make the same mistakes. And I think that's the reason why we see the same shit occurring nowadays, because too many of us don't know our history and not just too many of us, but too many of us, too many people in positions of power or too many people with platforms don't know their history. So they'd say and do dumb shit and make the same mistakes of the past instead of trying to be better and move the needle forward. Sorry, that was my rant. But anyways, like I was saying, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. of the civil rights era, as we know it today, he was widely disliked. And I'm talking 75% of the population felt that he was wrong in his approach and that he was asking for too much too fast. And what was this man asking for? What was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. asking for that people thought was too much too fast? He was asking for equality, job opportunities for black people. 
for black children to receive equal levels of education as white children and for black people to be ex to be able to exercise their right to vote. And this is who people thought he was asking for too much. <laughs> and the irony is that some of these people of today that I see sharing Dr. Martin Luther King quotes, they're on the same shit. They still think that black people are asking for too much or certain minority groups. And they need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But y'all, that's another conversation for another day. So like I said, where's, the, where's my frustration? We're getting back to the frustration, right? Because we talked about the disconnect. Now we're talking about the frustration and just feeling drained. So what drains me is that when we discuss black history during Black History Month, it feels like a very shallow understanding of what people only choose to look at in one, one brief period of time. And this one brief period of time, people just choose to focus on for these 28 days, okay? And so I talked about people posting things on Instagram. Let's talk about social media because social media, I think it's, um, I've said this before on this podcast, social media is a tool. You can either use it to build or you can use it to destroy. I see people approach social media like a hammer and a hammer you can use it to build or you can use it to destroy and have these people approach social media wielding their hammer of fucking destruction and i can't stand it when it happens during black history month but more what irritates me more than anything is the lack of intention a lot of people approach black history month with so let's talk about social media people internet personalities, corporations, and organizations who year-round pay black people dust, they're silent on issues that disproportionately impact black people negatively, but February 1st, all of a sudden, they remember that we exist. There are posts, happy Black History Month. There are talks of unity. You see all of these people and organizations partnering with this black creator or that black creator. They want to bring them on their podcast. They want to bring them on their platform. You see black people featured in all these marketing campaigns. I turn on the, I don't even watch TV anymore, but on God, when I'm watching black, when I'm watching any TV during black history month, I'm like, damn, it's like America. Remember there are black people in here. We can actually portray these people positively. Who would have thunk? You know, so we, we see all these black people are featured in their marketing images and monies, all types of monies will be donated to certain black organizations and this school and this cause and blah, 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 feel good, performative, blah, blah, blah. Then March 1st hits and it's back to business as usual. Crickets. Crickets. Chirp, chirp. Caca. <laughs> Nothing. And this is so, this bothers me so much to the point that maybe this could be seen as me shooting myself in the foot or blocking my own blessings and my own success. But I've been working on this mindfulness and unconscious bias workshop. And I wrapped it up a couple of weeks ago. I think in the middle of January, I wrapped it up and I put the final touches on it and it was ready to go. I didn't advertise that I had that workshop ready. And I didn't advertise that I had that workshop ready because I didn't want anyone to see it and be like, let me bring this black woman into my organization to talk to us about unconscious bias because it's Black History Month. I didn't want to be used in someone's performative and empty act of allyship during Black History Month. 
Why? Because I want people to actually be intentional about confronting their biases. And would people still want to hire me in March or April or once I eventually advertise this workshop? Maybe, maybe they won't, but time will tell. The last thing that I want to see is anyone using another black person for performative measures to, to celebrate Black History Month. And then as soon as March 1st hits, it's just done. It's crickets again. And, you know, as I'm talking about this, because this is like my experience, right? I'm sharing this and you're listening and you're probably like, (laughs) you're like, people are damned if they do and damned if you don't, right? Because it doesn't even, to a certain degree, it doesn't seem useful or helpful or surprising or even worth to an honest perspective. And I think, and I know this is why I saved this to the end of Black History Month. It doesn't even seem worth pointing this out because there are so many people who are comfortable with doing the least that they will respond to this and be like, you know, these small-minded individuals who are just comfortable with these empty gestures that are not even meant to appease them because a lot of these people are white people. So often I see white people being like, well, what more do you want from us? You know, that Tyrese video, what more do you want from me? (laughs) You know, they're like, uh, Black History Month is not even to appease them, right? But I I, I guess they think in their mind it is because then if people bring up what I'm bringing up, it's like, nothing is ever good enough for you people. And we're trying. And it's like, well, wait a minute. First of all, what do you mean you people? But second of all, are you trying? Are you really trying? (laughs) Like dead ass, are you really trying? When out of the 365, sometimes 366 days on a calendar year, because you know, we get our leap years, You spend just 28 days, less than 10% of the year, acknowledging the contributions of a people for, wait for it, of a people for whom without this country wouldn't exist. A group responsible for every single current trend, musical genre, advancements in medicine and science and technology, people who quite literally built this country, people who are the sole reason why this country was even able to become a world superpower as a result of the amount of money the powers that be were able to generate and make for themselves off of the blood, sweat, and flesh of free black labor. And you're trying to tell me you're trying by giving us 28 days to acknowledge black people for Black History Month. And we're supposed to think that's enough and people are trying. It will never be enough. It will never be enough. I remember Whitney Houston's like, only 28 days? It's not, it's not long enough. It's not long enough. It's not enough. We need more days. <laughs> we need more days. And like I said, I really want to, because this is getting long and I know you're like, Sasha, damn, you got all these feelings. I got a lot of feelings. I didn't even know if I was going to talk about it, but whatever, we're here. But like I said, Black History Month, in saying all of this, I want to be very clear. And I, I don't think I have to reiterate it, but you know, there are some people who don't listen to you when to 
they don't listen to people when they speak in good faith because they are have already taken a certain narrative and run with it in their brain. So if you've taken a certain narrative and run with it in your brain, let me be very clear that while Black History Month is a beautiful time dedicated to Black history and Black people in this country and our present, our past, our future, all of the things that we've accomplished, and I get the need for his existence, we need a Black History Month. And I don't ever want to see it go away, despite the impassioned pleas of a lot of people, like, <laughs> whatever, that's another topic for another day. While I get the need for his existence, I think we need to remember and continue to remember and continue to be reminded that Black history is American history. Like, genuinely, y'all, like I said, I'm on my Whitney Houston. We need more days. <laughs> I genuinely believe that we need more days. And then somebody's probably going to be like, well, you have Black Music History Month in June. Now we need more days, okay? And, and let me rephrase that. Maybe we don't need more days. Yeah, well, we need both, okay? We need more days, but we also need more intentionality behind representation, diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's what I want to see a change in. Because in many ways, I genuinely feel like this month has become little more to some people than to just like throw black people a bone and expect us to be satisfied with it. And I just can't and I won't and I can't and I won't because black people deserve so much better. So what are the answers, right? I just sat here for 30 minutes and shared my deep feelings about Black History Month, my disconnect, my conflict, um, you know, my frustration, my love. But a lot of it was my feelings. So what are the answers, right? I, I really dislike people who, by the way, this is a segue and this is just who I am as a person. I dislike people who have a complaint for every solution, but they never bring solutions to the table. So if you find yourself at this point, you're like, well, damn, Sasha, why don't you tell us what you want? <laughs> I'm going to tell you what I want. What are the answers? Be better. Be intentional. Year round. Okay. Don't just hire black creators and black people in February. Hire us year round and pay us equally. Don't just take black instructors classes in February. Support us year round. Don't just feature us in your ad campaigns during February and maybe a little sprinkle of something in June. Do it year round. Don't just have DEI speakers come to your office and talk to your coworkers who probably don't even want to be there because you make it optional. And so, well, I mean, I guess if you force people to come, they don't want to be there because for some people it's uncomfortable to confront their unconscious biases. So, but if you make it optional, they're not going to show up anyway because they don't think that they have any unconscious biases. So don't just hire these people during February. Do it year round. That's all I'm saying. Be intentional year round. I had the immense privilege of working with the POCERG here um, at SoulCycle and the input that we were able to give to this year's Black History Month celebration was powerful, but something that I constantly reiterated was the need to do this year round. That is where the dip, that's where the necessary, the impactful changes come. And speaking of changes, we need to make changes where it counts in organizations. Because to be perfectly honest, no, it's not enough to have us on the covers. Invite us into the boardrooms. And then when we get into the boardrooms, give us a seat at the table. And then when we have a seat at the table, let our words and our thoughts and our opinion have equal value and equal say as everyone else's. Enough with the performative gestures. Just be intentional. That's it. 
And, well, <laughs> since we're near the end of Black History Month, this is where my frustration will likely give way to disappointment and just being drained as we enter March and April and see that as much as things change temporarily for the month, they'll change the more they stay the same. It'll go back to being business as usual. And I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong, y'all. <laughs> I want to be wrong. But 99.99999999% of people and organizations will have to prove me right. And so it begins. Black History Month is ending in a couple of days. And yeah. It'll be business as usual until Black History Month of 2020, 2023 rolls around and people and organizations will have to be reminded to acknowledge the existence of black people and engage in performative shows of solidarity, solidarity on social media and in their campaigns to show they didn't forget because they weren't intentional because many people aren't intentional. So make the changes where it counts. And what are the answers? The answer is to simply be intentional. And hire, my God, like some of y'all really need to invest in the same way a lot. I, it's crazy to me that so many organizations do not invest in cultural competency and diversity, equity, inclusion representatives and leaders like this is it's still wild to me it's 2022 when you see so many things happening I think it was Bath and Body Works shitty campaign for Black History Month and they got ripped apart for it and they and you know you see in the comments oh we're trying and I'm like I'm sorry you're trying isn't enough and the reason why these things happen is because there is no black person at the table to be like this is where you went wrong so this has been a lot it's been 35 what oh my god over 35 minutes at this point <laughs> so those are my thoughts on black history month it's complicated it's uh messy but it's real and um like i said i think it is important to acknowledge how much love and how much joy i have felt all month to see the excellence on display it has honestly brought tears to my eyes and i am so proud of what i see black people doing my my fellow black people what I see us doing in my community in on a national level but in my community especially I'm so proud especially of the black um, instructors who are at a disadvantage especially black women instructors here and we're just trying to get it and just trying to put love out there and hopefully get that love in return and the love that I've received this month I hope to see it March April May June July August September October November December January February I hope to see it year round because we are here year round. Black people exist year round. Our contributions, our worth, and our value as individuals does not begin in February and it doesn't end. They do not diminish on February 28th or February 29th. So while I recognize that I will likely be singing the same tune come Black History Month 2023, I am so hopeful, I am so hopeful, at least one person hears this and decides to be more intentional because that right there is the answer. So 
Thank you very much for listening. This got a little long. So if you're here and you stay throughout the entire thing, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me know what your thoughts are. You can find me on Anchor FM or you can find me on my website, Sasha Whitney, or you can find me on Instagram at the Sasha Whitney. Let me know what your thoughts were, if this resonated with you and enjoy the rest of your Black History Month. And remember, be intentional. Till next time, peace out.